Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase. bluenile.com code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Q Commentator, episode five, with me, Nick Heath. Thanks for joining me. Um, I'm very grateful for every one of you who is tuning in to listen, from uh, well, fellow pros to those of you who simply have an interest in sports and conversation. Uh, thank you to all of you who've also been in touch via Twitter on at Q Commentator. Um, a quick handful of reactions for you. Jenna Hawkey, who's a freelancer working mainly with the BBC, actually, um, really relate to so much of what Sarah Orchard had to say and very handy to listen to Nick Mullins before doing my first TV commentary in three years. Jen, I hope all of that uh, goes really well. Thanks for getting in touch. Martin Landers, really interesting insight into the voices behind sport. Well worth a listen, whether you're a sports fan or not. Uh, Steve Parrott's been back in touch. Another insightful conversation on Q Commentator. That one related to Sarah Orchard, as my computer makes a noise in the background. Uh, Great to see the glass ceiling being broken in all areas of the game. And yeah, there was certainly a flavour of that through that conversation with Sarah. Uh, Will Robert the old man said these were good and he wasn't lying. Great podcast. Well, uh, I'm grateful to your dad for that. Um, and David Topping. Hi, Nick. Brilliant podcast with Nick Mullins. It was so very insightful. And Nick's humble appreciation of Bill McLaren was a joy to listen to. The passion for the art of commentating shines through. And I'm looking forward to catching up on the other episodes now. Well, David, I hope you're still with us. And I'm thrilled that so many of you uh, enjoyed the chat with Sarah Orchard in the last episode. A woman with, well, some steely determination, uh, a great work ethic and really also so just someone who wants to be known for being good, not for having been a first of anything, even though she clearly has been. So uh, so more power to Sarah, uh, except when you're going for the same gigs as me. Uh, your feedback out there is welcome as ever, whether it's via Twitter or via qcommentator at rugbymedia.co.uk on email. Just rolls off the tongue, that doesn't it? Uh, or via the Rugby Media Facebook page and the Q Commentator group, which uh, we have our first couple of members on. So feel free to come and join us. The conversation isn't thriving yet, but no reason to suggest. Yes, that won't uh, happen soon. Uh, And uh, whilst plugging, if you do want to watch any of the chats with Barry Davis, John Hunt, or Nick Mullins, then they are up on the Rugby Media YouTube page. Um, So yeah, your ratings are welcome. Your reviews on iTunes even more so. It all helps and is very much appreciated. So this week... I hope, again, this is another conversation with some different themes to the others that we've heard so far in this first series. Uh, Bob Ballard spent 18 years on staff with the BBC alongside his commentary work on swimming and diving. To name his better-known sports, Bob would regularly read the sports news on BBC Five Live, a station that was on in my dad's car permanently as I grew up. Um, and it sits alongside the music stations that I listen to today. Um, 
I met Bob in a bar in South London, which is almost as dodgy as it sounds. Um, I was doing some work with Ben Cohen, the former Rugby World Cup winner, ally of the gays and sex symbol to a lot of them too. Um, Ben was working in honour of his late dad, who had been a doorman and unfortunately had lost his life in the line of duty. So as part of Ben's work for his stand-up foundation against bullying, he was doing a live appearance uh, at the Two Brewers, a little-known gay bar on Clapham High Street. Um, Now, having met Ben Ben and his manager at the time, uh, I was asked if I wouldn't mind helping host the evening with a bit of a QA and a um, so that I could sort of act as a bit of a foil between Ben and a room full of gay men bears desperate to rip the shirt off Ben's back, which largely uh, went very well. But we actually then sort of achieved that anyway, because Ben decided he was happy enough to have the shirt auctioned off his back because we were raising money for the charity. And it raised a ridiculous £2,600 for the T-shirt he'd just been wearing. Um, So the moral of that charitable story is find someone loaded, tap into their fetish, and they'll pay a lot of money for what they want. Um, Anyway, after the event, I received a message on Twitter from Bob uh, complimenting my work at helping host the event. Um, And I've no shame in admitting I was giddy as anything as the man who read my daily sports news was now reaching out to me. Um, I didn't know Bob was gay. Uh, It wasn't relevant. Why should it have been? Um, But anyway, we met for a few beers and have remained friends since. Now, Bob also kindly gives up his time once a year to join me in Vauxhall on August Bank Holiday Monday, plug, plug, uh, to commentate with me on Gay Sports Day. It is easily the funniest day of my year. Um, It includes such events as the 50-metre mints, drag relay and handbag throw. Um, So uh, it's a good fun day. But before I hand over to the chat with Bob, um, I just sort of wanted to mention really the challenge that I think we have in the working world these days where less and less people are on contracts and more of us are freelancers or on zero hours things or whatever. Um, It's been mainly all I've known since I was about 22 because... I like that motivation to chase my own work. But for someone like Bob Ballard, having 18 years at the BBC come to an end, with plenty years ahead of him, of course, but who wouldn't necessarily be seen as a bright spark at the start of his journey, I can imagine must be a real challenge. And I know mentally with Bob, he's found things tough from time to time, and he, he doesn't mind me mentioning that. And I think, you know, as we all become an ever-maturing workforce, we probably need to be careful about a working world where, without the security of contracts, when those higher up the chains are looking for the newest, fresh thing, we maybe need to be a little bit wary of overlooking the experienced pros out there in, in whatever field it might be that are sat there with a world of knowledge, understanding and insight to bring to whatever it is although they might not have a working knowledge of Snapchat. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a sort of thought I have that I think is perhaps relevant to Bob and, and the recent journey he's had over the last few years. And uh, and yeah, so uh, you can you can take that point and uh, make of it what you will. Almost a little bit too serious for the start, isn't it? But I think I think it's a point worth thinking about. So, uh, so Capital Radio, Hullabaloo, and on to Radio Medway. Starting in commentary on ice hockey, his heroes Barry Davis, Richie Benno, Reg Gutteridge. Rebecca Adlington's double gold medal wins, historic moments that will keep Bob played for many years after we've all gone. Uh, Tom Daly's career too. Bob's commentated on swimming, diving, ice hockey, tennis, basketball, water polo, football and cricket, to name a few. Um, Recorded in my lounge with uh, wooden floors in South London, so there's a slight little echo on this week's pod, but you're not going to worry too much about that. Because the man I'm talking to is a pro. His voice is superb. It's Q commentator Bob Ballard. Well, Bob, thank you very much for joining me. Um, thank you, Nick. Good to have your company. Um, starting at the very beginning, mm. 
you left school at 17 with eyes on a radio career. Um, I note it was a sort of six, seven-year period before you landed that first job at BBC Radio Medway. What was going on in those intervening years, and, and were you doubting that the dream might happen? Yeah, because there was no real opportunity when I left school to go into radio. Prior to that, I had done four years working, or that's three and a half years, working on Hullabaloo, which is Capital Radio's kids' programme. On a Sunday afternoon, I did the uh, thing called Pop Spot for about two years, and I did the Young DJ Spot for a couple of years before that. I thought that would launch me into, or lead me into, hopefully, uh, getting a career at Capital. It didn't quite work out that way. There just weren't the jobs around, there weren't the positions or opportunities there. So I thought, what was my second favourite thing, or, or equal favourite thing, it was music. So I worked out, my strategy was, if I was working in the music industry, chances are I would get the opportunity to go seamlessly, hopefully, from music into radio. Mm. Um, Yeah, it did take a little bit longer than I thought, but it went the kind of route I wanted, ultimately, because I met people in radio, which gave me the chance to ultimately get into radio. And was was sport on the horizon? Was that where you wanted to go in radio? No, no, not at that stage at all. Sport was not actually in the plans um it was going to be i wanted to be a, a jock basically i wanted to be a dj yeah ever since i was very young i wanted to work on radio one who do you who'd you been listening to that you wanted to be well it was a combination of things there were people obviously on radio one i was a big fan of radio luxembourg actually i had a my my big passion uh was actually listening to luxembourg in the evenings and hearing people like mark wesley and the jocks of that day. In fact, Mark Wesley was my hero. Okay. People would talk about Tony Blackbird and people like that. It was always Mark Wesley for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually wanted to be a, a music jock. Sport was an interest. I had loads of, and I did do kind of dummy commentaries when I was younger. It's yeah, in front okay. of tellies doing FA Cup finals and these like that. But, but it was always a secondary thing behind the music. So sport really only started to enter my life in a, in a sort of working capacity when I went to Radio Medway Stroke Kent six years later. Yeah, and you did the Out and About Sports programme. When did commentating then itself first come into view? I didn't start doing commentary until the Medway Bears, which is the ice hockey team, came about. So I wasn't doing football. I was doing reports on football, but not commentary on football, because we had Kevin Geary, who was my boss at Radio Kent, who obviously went on to uh, do a lot of things for the BBC. Mm. And he did the commentaries, and I just did reports occasionally and went to occasionally do midweek games and things like that. So the first real commentaries I did for sport for the BBC were ice hockey. Mm. And that's, and I wasn't Back in a day when there can't have been much interest in ice hockey. Well, there, there wasn't, but there was in that area because Medway Bears, within a year, were quite big. Right. And they made the playoffs the first year, and I wasn't even confident enough to do that. We, had, we got somebody who had done ice hockey commentary elsewhere to come in and do it. But I kind of sat there thinking, I should be doing this, really. I suggested I wasn't ready for it. And then all of a sudden I thought, well, you're not going to find out whether you're ready for this mm. unless you actually go and do it. Have you, is that a lesson that you took on? In, yeah, in I, le- I think so. Because, opportunities? Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that you, you look at and think, okay, am I ready for this? And at that stage, I didn't think I was. And then you listen uh, to the bloke doing it and go, yeah, you're, you're doing my gig. Well, kind, kind of, yeah. It was a, I, I was basically his summarizer which okay. is a job that I never feel comfortable with. And I did do it again, notably later on, we'll probably come on to that, but I heard him. I thought, yeah, it's not an easy sport to do, but I think I can. Uh, I've got enough background knowledge, and I've been covering it for long enough now mm. that I, I know the intricacies of it, and I know the nuances of it, and I can do it. Mm. Uh, so I did. Did the, and then that kind of led into doing 
Bears games home and away. We did uh, commentaries from all over the country in the end. Uh, and that was a kind of launch pad for me to, to blossom uh, and widen my uh, spectre of sports interests. What did you think about being a commentator at that time? It, it wasn't actually in my plans, to be honest. I mean, I, I was happy. I was presenting uh, five days a week on Radio Kent. And I was doing sport as a kind of sideline at that stage. So I was happy in my five days a week of doing a three-hour music program. And sport was a nice little addition. Mm. I was playing loads of music and we were doing travel information and a few other bits and pieces. But it was a, it was a music program. And I was selecting all the music, which was fantastic for me. Mm. Um, but the sports side of it was very much just Saturday afternoons doing Out and About, which was a great little program. But uh, that was my real involvement with sport at that point. Uh, so the, the commentary became a little bit of an additional thing uh, to what I was doing Monday to Friday, which was you know kind of grist to the mill and gave me a chance to expand my horizons a bit. Were there other people out there that you were listening to in a sporting context that you wished to emulate then at that time? Well, I've, I've always listened to commentators as I've grown up um, right across the board. I mean, my favourite commentators, uh, I, I think I've said before in, in social media terms, uh, Barry Davis, Richie Bano. And strangely enough, because uh, I have no interest and in, no concept of why people find it attractive boxing, Reg Gutteridge was ITV's boxing commentator for many years. And uh, I, I just liked the way he presented the sport and mm. the, the kind of... I, I like people with a bit of character, people who who are very difficult to clone, if you like. There's mm-hmm. a lot of clones out there who sound similar. You turn on Match of the Day sometimes and go, oh, I don't know who that is. Is that is that him or is it him yeah, or is okay. it him? Uh, pe- people who, who stamp their mark on it. So, yeah, there, there, there were people... I suppose we've all done it, that we get influences from the people that we like and think, right, I want to go down that route and be that kind of style of commentator. So, yeah, I, I was kind of, I suppose, absorbing like a sponge as years went on yeah. with different commentators, yeah. Yeah, and so therefore when it came to finding your voice and, and you, you doing these things, was that something that came easily? Was was being Bob Ballard as a sports commentator your natural voice straight away or did you did you have to sort of find it over a period of time? I, I think you find it and I think the, the best way you do this, I've always advised people to do this and a lot of people find it quite hard to do. I always listen back to or try to listen back to what I do uh, as often as I can because there are bits you miss out on. And also you might be falling into certain traps you're unaware of. You mm-hmm. might be repeating things uh, too often, which then drive you mad. If you want it's driving me mad, it could be driving the listener or the viewer mad. Mm-hmm. So I've always made a big thing, and I certainly did in the early days, of going back over the stuff I did, listening to it, analyzing it probably too intensely at times because people say, well, you don't need to worry about that. But I did because to me, the only way that you do improve with those kinds of things is is to be very critical, be very analytical of what you do. Uh, That is the only way that you eventually get to not not perfection because nobody ever reaches that but as close as you possibly can to it yeah and and we all get older and our voices will naturally settle and perhaps get a bit deeper um do you look back at any of the early days and go who was that squeaky so-and-so if you were well yeah i mean because remember i was coming up to my mid-20s then um so a lot has changed in that time yeah uh yeah very very much so um how would you describe your voice it, it certainly would have been a slightly higher register than it is these days, mm-hmm. I think. But again, that's something that you you kind of work on. Um, you know, you, you make sure that those peaks don't sound like your, your voice is about to break or yeah. you're about to go off the scale. Um, so again, that was something that I was very 
especially with a, a game like ice hockey that has those intense periods like football does where where goals are scored you've mm. got to kind of nail it if, if you, and it if, can be explosive in that yeah, way exa- exactly and if your voice suddenly goes into a completely different range then it sounds like somebody else then it is quite off-putting so yeah that's something I was quite conscious of and, and worked quite hard on are the tones therefore that you will find in, in hitting those moments things that you're comfortable with would you say that you you sort of have a musicality mm. um, a musical ear that, that kind of thing I mean you say that you listen to a lot of music so I, I would argue that you do yes um, would you sing would you, you know, um, are you a singer in the shower sort of person yeah kind of yeah I, I mean I, I do all the, all the above but it, it, I suppose it does inadvertently help you for that it, it's getting those moments right and making sure it was the old joke on spitting image wasn't it about uh, peaking too soon mm. um and you have that kind of work up through the gears till you get to that that very top gear yeah and making sure that you know and also that you don't hold it for too long you, do, you it needs to be fairly uh, sustained but not too ex- too explosive yeah you don't want anybody out there for no ages. exactly that um because it, it, it's a bit like when you hear the Spanish commentators or Brazilian commentators yeah, okay. where they go goal for about 20 seconds um, and every comment- every commentary they ever do is like that yeah. it would drive me mad because there's no invention in that yeah. uh, I, I know you are conveying the, the feeling of the time but you know, just shouting goal doesn't doesn't really, doesn't really do it for me yeah that's so, fair enough so well, it isn't for me anyway. it probably is for them because probably what they used to um, but would, you it, do, would you do a vocal warm up is that something you do no I don't I mean I do know people who do um but no, not really. I mean, because c- your voice tends to warm up as you go along anyway. Mm. So by the end of it, um, no, I, I don't do any kind of la-la-las or, and, or refrains or anything And like so that. conversely, have you, has it let you down and you've thought, oh, it wasn't, wasn't where I, I hoped it would be today? I've been quite lucky in that respect in as much as I've always been very careful whenever I've done lengthy gigs, if you like, like Olympics or Paralympics or... And anything that goes over more than about four or five days, you know your voice takes a bit of a battering. Mm. Some people can get to the end of the day and go out and have a few drinks mm. and then come back in the morning and they're fine. I don't. I've always said, right, uh, voice needs a rest. I don't want to go into smoky atmospheres or atmosphere there's loads of people where I'm shouting at people mm-hmm. across the room. So I will be, if you like, a bit antisocial at times. And people say, oh, come out for a few beers. I say, no, I, I won't do that. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, at the end of it, I will. Yeah, the last night when we're all done and dusted, yeah. and I've done my last commentary, then fine. Good discipline. Yeah, well, and I've always, and I've kind of said to people who've asked me for advice over the years, that's the way to do it. Mm. Because you'll find out halfway through, you're really struggling. You know, yeah. Out come the strep sores and out come the, the different throat sweets and stuff like that. And when you get yeah. to that stage... You're just putting off the inevitable, probably. Yeah. Because by the last day, you, your voice is worn out. Yeah. So you, you have to learn to use it in a methodical way, but also not do anything adversely that could uh, have an impact on it. By working at the BBC then, uh, you know, through those 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 decades, the opportunities come to do other sports. Um, how did they come to you? What happened was, swimming is obviously the one I, I was probably best known for. And we'll, we'll go back a stage before I got to Five Live. I was working at Radio Sheffield. And I, I, I had no interest in swimming before that. I'd never done a swimming event. That's one when I was younger, but not competitively. I covered the European Swimming Championships as, as a reporter mm. for Radio Sheffield in 93. 
Really enjoyed the event, really enjoyed the sport, really enjoyed the people in the sport. Mm. I thought, hmm, I like this, I could do a bit more of this. And of course, there wasn't a chance at Radio Sheffield at that point to do any more. When I went to Five Live in 97, John Champion was the swimming commentator at that point. John then went to Match of the Day mm-hmm. and relinquished that post. And I really wanted it, but I had, I'd only literally just joined the department. How, how, so, how bolshy could you be? Yeah, well, stage? yeah, I, I kind of made a couple of overtures, but they, they gave it to Peter Drury. Peter then, a year later, went to ITV. Yeah. So the two swimming commentators had gone in the space of about 12, 18 months. So I, I pushed it. And, I, and, then, and again, they were, they were a bit kind of reticent. There were people who had been in the department a bit longer who were showing an interest. But... I, I kind of pushed and I pushed and they went, okay, they, they kind of gave in and they gave me the trials of the Commonwealth Games in 98. Obviously, I did a decent enough job on that because they said, okay, you can do Malaysia and the rest is history. So I did Brilliant. that for 14 years. Yeah. And and your relationship then with people in the sport grew and grew? Yeah, because the thing is, if you're going to convey it, you've got to get to know the people. Uh, and I was basically going to swimming not knowing much about it. You might say, well, what is there to know about swimming? You go up and down a pool, you have four different strokes and whatever it is. But you've got to find out technical things. You've got to talk to coaches about, right, why does that swimmer do it that way? And uh, whichever sport I've ever done, I've always been, right, you've got to get to the nuts and bolts of this mm. if you can. If you're at a venue, you're doing the sport, you've got to get to know the coaches Hopefully get to know the athletes if you can. Well, you never know what you're going to pick up either, do you? you no. Know, you're, you're, suddenly a little gem of information comes out. Well, actually, you know, this is the pool that he first swum in when yeah. he was 10. And, oh, lovely. That's right. That's right. And, and so when you, when you get to know them and get to find out their idiosyncrasies and uh, the coaches will say, oh, by the way, I really think he's on for a big swim today. They give you that kind of information. Yeah. You store it. You can you can say you don't have to say attribute it, but you know, the feeling is he's you know maybe in for a really good time today or whatever it might be. Yeah. When he does it, all right, it makes you sound a bit of a clever dick maybe, but it's nice to have that kind of information. And I've always found whichever sport I've done is if I can get the information from the people at the sharp end, which then informs me to inform the people I'm talking to. Yeah, it's it's a nice kind of conveyor belt, if you like, with the information coming through the system. Well, it's doing your job as well, isn't it? Because it, you're not just there to convey the 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 action of what's going on, but but you've got to be bringing it to life with the detail and and, yeah. and with the access and and you know I say privilege at times because that's what it can feel like, but mm. but with the access that you've got to get to get to these people and 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 yeah, bring them into people's living rooms. But you've got to know more than just the basics. If you just know the basics, then your commentary is basic. Uh, so you, you've got to talk to people to get the, uh, the 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 inner workings of these things, the the accoutrements that go with the sport. Because if you don't, then your sport commentary can be very bland. Mm. You know, because people say, "Well, swimming is all about going up and down and touching wall and coming back." But if you have a bit more information and can flesh it out and make it more colourful, then the, the thing comes alive a bit more. Mm. And I always found that, that that's always been my raison d'etre for every sport I've covered, I suppose, is to try and get to know the people, try and get to know the coaches and, and things like that, and, and, and try and get the information that I wouldn't know by being an onlooker. We'll come back to the pool in a minute. Now, you mentioned being a big football fan. It doesn't seem to be something as a commentator that, that has come to you a lot. And I'm intrigued as to sort of why, really. 
It's because everybody pretty much in sports commentary wants to do football. Okay, so... Uh, and I have done it. I, I did it when I was at Radio Sheffield. I did uh, the FA Cup semi-final, the okay. Sheffield one. I did an FA Cup final replay uh, between Sheffield Wednesday and Arsenal. And I, in the five years of Radio Sheffield, I did football commentaries every week, mm. at least one, sometimes two. And it's something I feel perfectly comfortable with doing, but it hasn't really been the way I've gone. I did some for Five Live as well. When I first started at Five Live, I did it. It's not actually the area I feel most comfortable in, to mm. be honest. I can do it. I can do it reasonably. But I look at other people and I think, well, they can do it better than I can. Mm. So it's not... I wasn't always pushing at Five Live to do football commentary, yeah. though I did do some for them, because um, I thought there were other areas in which I could excel more. And I wouldn't say you're a man who walks into a room with an ego, but therefore... You know, is is there some truth in the idea that if you're looking at that football, you know, from what you say, well, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be the best at it, but the sports that you have then chosen to cover, that you have a confidence that you say, well, actually, I'm I am bloody good at that, so that's what yeah, I'm going to specialise in. I'm better. I think I'm better at the sports I've kind of made my own, yeah. or sports, and, and they tend to be areas where there's not a lot of competition. They tend to be quite specialist areas. Swimming is, ice hockey is. Uh, the diving is... So uh, I would challenge you then to say, have you taken the easy route? No, I don't think so, because <laughs> they still have to be done well. Yeah. And, you know, you, you still have to get the nuances of what you're doing. Um, but it, it, it is easier being in a smaller pool. It is right. You know, yeah. it's much easier. Well, pardon uh, you the pun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to, to, to get those kind of gigs, though, yeah. you know. Um but there are other people around who want to do them, so you're still competing against that. But if you if you specialise and you kind of streamline what you do and don't kind of follow everybody down the same route, I think it's more it's it's better, mm. it's more entertaining, and maybe in a way more challenging. Yeah, and you've covered things like Olympic Games, Summer and Winter, Commonwealth Games, a whole host of international mm. championships, diving as well, of course. Um, now, let's say you've got a diving final. It's it seems to me it's it's a quite different sport to a lot of the more dynamic ones, certainly one that involve a ball mainly. Um, there are judges for a start. Um, you know, how do you build to a gold medal moment and what confidence can you have in what you think has happened out there? Bearing in mind, it's not an immediately visual result. That's right. And you've got to wait to, you know, you can think, well, that was the best dive Tom Daly's done. But, yeah. but, but, you know, the Philippines judge has decided to mark him down mm-hmm. for wearing the wrong colour shorts or something. You know, so yeah. it, it's an interesting nuance of commentary. It that. is. And, and I think that's why it worked in on diving with Leon Taylor so well, is that we had our very different roles in that. I also call it the, the, it's the kind of top and tail of it. I would do the in bit, I would do the out bit, he would do the analytical bit, mm. which I could do and I have done when I've had to work solo on, on things around the world. Yeah. I have done it. I've done both roles. But I felt more comfortable and he felt more comfortable with me doing the the intro to it. Here's what the dive is. Uh, then as soon as the dive happened, he would take over. He did the rest of it. When we got to the scoreboard bit, that was me. Yeah. So most of the time, I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to predict what the outcome would be because I was I was just leading into what Leon would say and then he would lead into what I would say at the end. Yeah. So I didn't have to do that. I have had to do that when I've done uh, FINA events around the world uh, and it is far more difficult. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mm. What do you think about the commentator having an opinion? Yes. And I think he should. I think he definitely should because otherwise it can be very bland. Mm. And you know full well that people at home are sitting going, well, I don't agree with that. That was wrong. Mm. Um, as long as you don't overdo it, because if you overdo it, then people just think you're ranting. Okay, yeah. And people think you, you, you're just on your soapbox about yeah, something. Yeah. But if you see something that you believe in your commentary is wrong, um, then you should say it. You know, and obviously somebody then says, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Then you have to back up what you've said and justify it. Um, and there are times when, when that's happened to me, when I, obviously you see a refereeing decision in ice hockey or, or something like that, and you think, well, that's wrong. Mm. And you go to the replay, and the replay then justifies what you said or doesn't justify what you said yeah. accordingly. You've got to be hoisted by your own petard on those kind of things. But yeah. I quite like that because I, I like commentators who do have opinions because it, it, it enlivens the thing. If, if you're just going to describe or do what you're seeing before you, yeah. Well, pretty much anybody can do that. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I had the, had the pleasure to interview Barry Davis and, and he makes the point that actually if you're the guy with the microphone that's been watching this sport for the previous 15 years, you may have a summariser alongside you who might have certain insights, mm. but you're certainly very well placed to have an opinion on what you've just seen and, yeah. and, and call out something that you didn't think was, was justified or right about a decision or a moment. That's, that's why when you work in a two-man system, you need to know what the strengths and weaknesses of each other is, really. Uh, that's why, to me, it used to work seamlessly with Leon, is he had no real ambitions to be the commentator. Mm. He was happy doing what he felt comfortable with, yeah. and I was comfortable doing the bits I felt comfortable with. So we dovetailed very nicely. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to... Uh, there were a couple of times where I would voice an opinion and he might slap me down over it. Yeah. But that was fun. That was all part of the, the, the camaraderie. Well, he had we tons had. of energy as well. So uh, yeah. I say and, had. And, it's, and, he hasn't died, by the way. Uh, and, but, and, uh, and vice versa. You know, the, the same would be that sometimes he'd overlap on me, which is fine. But we rarely did unless, unless we really felt we needed to. So I think it's one of the big things that I've 
noticed over the years, one thing I'm, I'm very strong on is to find out what your co-commentator or your analyst or your summarizer, your color man, whatever, what their strength is. Mm. And you play to their strength and hopefully they play to yours. And that's how you get teamwork. Yeah. Because if you're working in isolation, you're trying to do different things, it doesn't work. There are commentators out there that various people have bonded to over the years, the really high-profile guys out there. You've been someone that will have been in and out of people's lives perhaps without them noticing, a, you know, a, a stealth commentator, I shall <laughs> perhaps call you. Um, what moments are you most proudest of that, you know, the public aren't necessarily going to be going, oh, I love, you know, where were the Germans, frankly, who cares, and, and all that kind of stuff. They're not going to call out maybe Bob Ballard's top moments. But actually for you, what are you most proud of? Yeah, I don't think I've ever had one of those. Um, I Actually, funny enough, one of the best commentaries I think I ever did was the uh, Salt Lake City ice hockey final between the USA and Canada. Well, I know, I know it's pretty decent when someone like Nick Mullins is sending me a message saying, really enjoyed the way you did that nice you're thinking okay well you know when you're hearing from your peers and people you've worked with yeah who who suddenly go really really thought you you nailed that um is i i got i've watched it back a couple of times and it's what i don't watch things back and and gloat and and go have you given yourself goosebumps um no not quite (laughs) but it's one of those where I'm, i'm really proud of what i did at the time because it fitted the the pictures and what I said fitted perfectly. Right. Um, in as much as the the winning goal, even though it was it was ultimately that they were four two up, but it was the goal that ultimately clinched, clinched it. it. Yeah. Um, is what I said as the build up happened and as the puck goes in, I actually nail the last bit of commentary. Brilliant. And you kind of say, think, why can't every commentary by like, be like that? Why can't you do that every single time? Yeah, because we're and, human, I guess. And, it's, and it, it's it's not a science. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you do have those moments where you think, oh, I could have done that a bit better, or that didn't quite fit. Yeah. But that was one of those occasions where just the rhythm of what I said, the words I said, and the time in which I said it, actually all fitted and no doubt when the puck's gone in and you've said that line you've then got a few seconds for the crowd to come in or for any coke yeah. you might have had did you, at the, you did you mentally punch the air or even physically punch the air at the time thinking nailed it no well yeah kind of but it, it was because it was such a high profile event and it was going out on bbc one and i knew the audience was big uh or, or i think you're mindful of is making sure you don't make a a drastic mistake mm. or make it a big cock up on, on the thing that you know is probably going to be used in four years time again yeah. maybe in eight years time again so you maintained gonna, focus well yeah and also you know it goes into the, the archive and then 20 years time people who haven't got a clue I'm going to this guy was terrible <laughs> you know, so, so you kind of want people to go well that was quite good yeah um, I haven't had that, that many moments like that because you, know, you, you do the things and you move on to the next thing you don't think about yeah. it uh, there was that, and I think the other one I'd say in radio terms would be Rebecca Adlington's second gold medal. Now that in I Beijing, do, now that does that does resonate, yeah. which which has been played loads of times since. Um, and I will make a little admission here: I made a terrible error on the first gold medal. I took my eyes off the prize because we had two Britons in there, and I was watching the other Briton and not watching her. Okay. So we got two medals in that. She got the gold. Joe Jackson got the bronze. But Joe Jackson was the person I was watching. Right. So I was watching her, not watching Rebecca Anderson. So our commentary on the first gold was not one I'm very proud of at all. Right. Well, so my, my next question was going to be, you know, which ones would you love to do again? So, yeah, yeah well, carry on. That, that is the one, definitely. Yeah. But three days later, there she is with a chance of another gold medal. 
uh, first Britain to get two golds in the pool for a hundred years. Mm. I'm thinking, right. And I actually, I don't think I slept very well that night. So I'm thinking, right now, you you've got a chance to atone this. Yeah. Most commentators don't get a chance to do this. You do. Don't right? screw it up. So I did actually, probably for the only time, write a few little notes mm. about what happens if she does this. Right. Not word for word, but just a couple of little notes. All right, give yourself a little aid memoir here mm. to make sure. Now, luckily, in that race, she'd won it by halfway through. Mm. So I didn't have the worries about, oh, this is going to be a close finish and she might get touched out by something because she, she'd won it after about 500 metres. Yeah. So that, that wasn't a worry. So that, all I'm thinking, right, okay, now, on that last 50, you have to get these words right because this will be one that will be used mm. for many years to come because you know people don't get two gold medals from Great Britain in the pool. Yeah, haven't done obviously since uh, back in the in the last century. So this is going to be played a lot, right? <laughs> Every time Rebecca appears on radio, it's going to be played. So it's make amazing sure how right. conscious you can be in oh, the moment yeah. of that as well, isn't it? And I've heard it back a few times, and I think yeah. Good. It was okay. I, yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't be, you know, jumping up and down saying punching the air or anything. But it, but it was a functional job. I said what I need to say and got it all in. And uh, you know, it's been played many times since. And yeah, it was okay. You can smile about it. Yeah, I, can, I put a little tick by the box. On yeah, that one. absolutely. And and in terms of writing lines, something you've done much? No. Never do. Uh, intros only. Yeah. Uh, every event I do, I always write the intro. Yeah. Because you want to give yourself a bit of a solid base to start with. That's it. Uh, especially when sometimes, like for example, uh, the recent European Championship swimming that I was doing up in, in Glasgow, I had a Spanish crew speaking Spanish to me most of the time in my headphones. <laughs> a bit of English, but there's a lot of Spanish going on. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking I might get distracted here because something might happen. The camera might go down. The graphics may not come in, whatever. I, I, I want to make sure that I'm concentrating on what I'm supposed to be doing mm. and what I'm supposed to be saying. So I would always write the intro. Did you turn them those. down in your headphones at this no, stage? No, no, well? I'm, I'm actually pretty good with that. I'm, I'm pretty good with open talkback. I've kind of got used to it over the years. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a skill. A lot of people hate it. Open talkback, just for anybody listening who is unaware, is where you have the voices in your head uh, through the headphones of not only the director, but you can hear the full gallery. You can hear the other people calling in the cameras, the graphics, absolutely every, everything. I'm someone that always wanted to be able to have all of it, and I do now when I do rugby commentary, because I, I like that sense of team. Mm. And if I can hear something's going on in the gallery, and they're like, hold on a minute, you hear someone in the background who's not even on the mics within the truck or whatever it might be saying, hold on, I think I think we might have a replay of that injury. And you've heard it. You haven't even heard the director relay it to you yeah. yet. And you can go... Well, if if we have the opportunity to show that to you, then uh, then then you know, give us a moment, and, and we'll see if we can have yeah. a look at it. And then the director goes, no, "Oh, nicely done! It. Here it comes." Yeah, no, I love it. But the the only problem is you, you you are reliant on them only imparting the information that's regarding what you're doing. If good, you good hear people saying, "Where are we going for dinner tonight?" <laughs> yeah. um, did you see that woman last night? She? And then they're having conversation, and of course, you I've, you, I've had that. you immediately get distracted. You think, <laughs> "What are they talking about?" Uh, so, so you you are hopeful that, yeah. that they are very streamlined and talking about only what is happening on the occasion. <laughs> but people's minds do wander, and there might be a quiet portion of whatever you're doing. Where are those wine gums? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> where, where are you going on holiday this year? You know, that yeah. kind of, so you get that, but. Um, <laughs> But I, I quite like that. And I say, the, that, um, I, I just find having intros 
gives you a chance to, as long as you don't of course fall over them or or I mean occasionally you might do it and yeah. misspell something or miss out a word or whatever and then you can trip over it but yeah. but more often than not it's it's a nice way to lead you into it and that's it as soon, yeah. as, as, soon as I've done the intro everything else then is ad lib yeah absolutely um, but it gives you that little cushion to ease you in because I find people because otherwise if you if you're ad libbing your intro um, you, you'll either repeat stuff or you'll find you run out of stuff or or whatever. Yeah. And it just sounds a bit kind of um, not totally coordinated. Yeah. I think it's about hitting certain notes yeah. and also making the viewer, the listener, feel like they're in safe hands mm. because... You know, if you come on air, oh, well, here we are uh, in Sheffield and it's the um, European champion. You know, yeah. you don't want that. Well, and a very I, good I, afternoon and, and welcome to Sheffield for the European Championships. Yeah. I'm Bob Ballard and yeah, here I am. Exactly. That's what you want. You yeah. want that nice, you know, someone's made the bed in the morning. Yeah. The day is ahead of us. That's we, right. You know, we know what's going on. As a commentator, it gives you a lot of confidence that you can then move on to step two, yeah. which is the live stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I, that's another bit of advice I give to people. And I've seen a lot of people who don't do that. And I think, well, okay, if that works for you, then fine. But you'll probably come a cropper because there will be a day where you'll be mid-sentence and somebody will suddenly throw you by saying something in your ear and you won't have a clue what you want to say. Whereas mm. if you've got something actually either on the screen or something typed out or written down, it helps you. Yeah, you can get on with it. Um, how do you cope with knowing while you're on air that you might have made a little boo-boo? You try and cover it as best you can. Dep- <laughs> depends how big the boo-boo is. True. Um, if if it's an if it's an obvious obvious one, you know that you can't get around. Then you've got to somehow say, "Oh, I think I made a mistake there," or, yeah. or "I think I might have said that, but it's actually this." If it's something that's fairly insignificant, chances are you can let it go. Particularly on radio, no doubt. Yeah, well. ra- radio in particular, but e- but even on telly, if it, if it's something like you might have said in 1984, it was 1985 or something. Yeah, it's not earth shattering. Yeah, if you've misidentified a person. Different story. Yeah. Um, and will that if 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 you if you've made the error and you know and you're not finding a chance immediately to, to to undo it, how does that sit with you mentally? Because I've had moments in doing rugby games where I'm the back of my neck's gone hot. I'm, mm. I'm you know, all over the place yeah, for a while because it sits with you. And also, what happens then is that you're not actually concentrating what you're doing because mm. you are thinking about the mistake that you made thirty seconds ago, a minute ago, whatever it is. Yeah. And it does impact on what you're about to do or what you're going to do probably for the next 50 minutes. If it comes close to half time or something, think, good, right, I'm going to start fresh. Yeah. If it happens early uh, when you've got 30 minutes or 25 minutes to go, it's awkward. So so it, it does depend on what it is. If it's, if, it's, if it's something that's really important to what you're doing mm. and there's no way you can get around it, then you have to find a way of trying to um edge it into the commentary yeah try and maybe do it jokingly if you can if it doesn't sound yeah. trite to do it but if, it, if it's something that's fairly you think oh yeah it's 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 wrong but it's not that wrong then you can let it go i think have you any clangers that that spring to mind um not major ones i don't think that's good um not that i can think of though. i've had really really bad ones that's good um, no, I, I would be honest up front and say if I had. Yeah, well, it's nice to be in a situation where you haven't. I mean, yeah, I don't know that I've got any major ones, but um, you're you're a man who doesn't mind a little bit of innuendo. Um, yes. In your endo, mm. um, <laughs> I asked if you wanted an innuendo, and he gave me one. Uh, 
how conscious are you at times where your humour has snuck in and you're going, okay, let's hold this together? Yeah, I've been told off for that. (laughs) Uh, It's not... um, It it often depends on who you're working with. True. Uh, And so just going back to Leon... um, He's a giggler, isn't he? He he is... We corpse each other terribly. And in fact, I'll tell you, one of the worst person for corpsing me recently has been Rebecca Adlington. Now, I've, I hadn't worked with, with Becky until last year. We, we, she was my summariser on the British Swimming Championships in Edinburgh. And there were a couple of times where we both had to turn our microphones off. We were giggling so much. We were like schoolgirls <laughs> uh, because she would just say something or I'd say something, which would then set her off, which would then set me off. Yeah. So I'm an inveterate giggler. Um, and... I'll give you an example. I'll give you a very good example. We used to have um, a German diver whose name was Katja Dickoff. Oh. Um, and, mean, that is, that's, and that was her name. And she was quite, quite high profile. That's all there for you, isn't it? Um, and unfortunately, every time I said it, Leon would disappear under the desk <laughs> because he couldn't look at me. Every time I said it, even though it was... the correct way of pronouncing it yeah he would disappear on the desk yeah um with laughter we should say with, with laughter with exactly, yes, exactly. <laughs> glad you pointed that out um so the, 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 that does happen in commentary and then it, it's the actual thing of trying to get it back on track and i'm not the best at doing that i've got to admit that mm-hmm. if, if i've gone it takes a lot to get me back sometimes <laughs> uh, and i have been told off about that before because Somebody just spring to mind. I, I'm always kind of, I don't know where people say, oh, you engage brain before opening mouth type of thing. There are times when I think it works the other way around with me, that things come come into my mouth before my brain's even processed it. Yeah. And I'm kind of going, did I mean to say that? Yeah. Did I just say that? Yeah. You know, so there are times where I think, you know, you go, oh, just be a bit careful here. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's never a thing particularly smutty or overly salacious, but there will be times where you think, well, I hope people understood the reasoning or the uh, the logic behind that. Are there, any, the are, there any, are there any particular phrases in the sports you cover that you, you're consciously aware of or lead you down innuendo paths if you go near them? Um, I mean, you know, in rugby, the balls come squirting out the back, all this, all this sort of stuff has <laughs> yeah. come right up inside him. And then there's, uh, there's, there's, no, there's not, a fair amount not, of filth if you go and no, look for it. No, not particularly. I mean, it, 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 it's nothing. I mean, there's a few things in diving, I suppose, that we have... Um, uh, certain expression that occasionally come up, can't think of any off the top of my head at the moment, but, it's all right. um, but, like, but there are in all sports you come well, up, are, if, yeah. if you're using spherical objects, you've always, always you're got that, trouble. of course. Yeah. Um, and uh, puck can sound like something else sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, you, you have to be a bit careful. But I, I like, I mean, it's a, I'm a big fan of David Lloyd's in, in cricket commentary. Because David adds that extra free song. You're not quite sure what he's going to say or how he's going to say it. Mm. But it keeps you listening because you think, oh, good. You know, it's something a bit different from, oh, he's just hit a four through the covers or, yeah. you know, it's a maiden over or whatever. He, he will do something. And I think that's what people like it. When we did uh, in Rio, uh, somebody invented um, commentators bingo. For myself and Leon, Great. and actually drew up a bingo grid and would tick things off as we went along, right? Uh, and it caught on. People you were, were and you were conscious of it, yeah. Oh, yes, because somebody said we thought there were two different versions of it. The, the <laughs> two different people did, it, I think, independently sent us commentators bingo, uh, and it was a case of um, oh, tick it off if Bob says this, or tick it off if Leon says this, yeah, or uh, if they use this phrase or whatever. Um, 
and it was kind of a, a bit of a homage to to, to our commentary style. How lovely! It, it was really good fun. Yeah, and it kind of meant that people were buying into how we did the commentary. Mm. Yeah, they, they were they were taking the rise out of us a little bit, but they also enjoyed it. Yeah, um, you know, it's affectionate. That yeah, though, isn't it, it? it is, and, and we thoroughly enjoyed it. And that's kind of you know a byproduct of, of doing the commentary in that style mm. and 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 winning viewers' affections in doing yeah. so. I, I would suggest. Um, what would you like to have commentated on that uh, that you've not? I don't think. Oh, cricket. Oh, definitely cricket. I mean, I've, I've done a little bit of cricket uh, in terms of reporting, but I've never really done much commentary because, again, it's another area where there's lots of people who want to do it. I'm not a former cricketer, so I'm not going to get much of a chance of looking in there. But cricket is a sport which I love, uh, and I've loved. It's actually the first sport I really got into was cricket. Um, I it's probably a, would like to have done some cricket commentary. It's a conversational style. It's different, isn't it? It is. Uh, so, so there you've got lots of time to talk. You've got lots of time to... Put on a record, probably. Well, probably, yes. <laughs> We're going back to the Radio Medway days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've got three minutes now in between the overs, so yeah. here comes the from Luther Vandross. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Now, cricket, I think, of all the sports that uh, I'm passionate about and, and watch, is the sport I've not done enough of, which mm. I'd love to do more of. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, to commentators out there these days, um, you will hear some of the new kids on the block, no doubt. There will be others that haven't quite got there yet. What sort of couple of... You've mentioned a couple as we've as we've chatted. What what couple of key things do you think people need to bear in mind if, if they want to be a good commentator? I'm a bit old school, and I, I think less is more, certainly in television terms. Now, radio, of course, you've got F space to fill so you've got to say words um but i got a very good lesson when i started doing tv commentary after doing years of radio commentary Mm. i did my my first really big gig was for television was nagano 98 winter olympics on the ice hockey working with a great guy called mark wilkin who went on to be the formula one producer at uh, the bbc and i did my first game I thought well, it's okay it's okay and he said yep fine what you're saying is good you're saying too much of it right he said you've got a radio background you've come to tv and you're saying too much it was a salutary lesson I did my second game and all he did was give me a thumbs up didn't have to say anything more I'd taken on board what he'd said yeah I, I'd adjusted the amount of words I was saying to, to fit the, the, the tv medium rather than radio medium yeah and it, it was a good lesson it, and he, he just said to me look what you're saying is fine but you're just saying too much of it yeah okay. you know so so cut down on the words you're 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 not adding to the picture you're, you're kind of almost duplicating some of the stuff that we're seeing yeah um and it's it's a very different discipline and I hear a lot of people from radio into telly who do that yeah because they don't know how to make that natural adjustment and just you probably cut down by 20%, 30% yeah. what you would say on radio. And do you think there are enough enough producers, the likes of which, or directors, the likes of which you, you got advice from that day who are saying that no. to people? No, I don't. And I think people get into bad habits, which is which is very... He, he caught me very early. Mm. He caught me on my, I had done some games already for TV, but nobody had picked up on that at that yeah. point. But he was assigned to me as my producer in Nagano. And sat there and didn't say anything through the game. Let, let me do the game. Yeah. And then just said, look, you know, what you're saying is fine. Yeah. But you're saying too much of it. Mm. And it, that was a great lesson and has helped me ever since. I don't think there are enough people because I think the, the way that the industry works these days is very much sometimes you have to fly by the seat of your pants. You're on your own. Mm. Uh, you might be on your own with a summarise, but you don't always have somebody over your shoulder. Yeah. And sometimes that person's maybe not that in tune with what you're doing and how to do it, to be honest. 
So you don't get that kind of guidance anymore, which is a shame. Yeah. How do you think commentary sounds these days compared to when you started? Is it the same? Has it changed much? Um, there's obviously a lot more sports being covered, a lot more sports channels. I mean, obviously, when I was growing up, basically it was grandstand and nothing else. Grandstand yeah. and world of sport. Do you know, my, my brother uh, still thinks, uh, because I'm a commentator and he's so detached from the world of sport, he thinks I commentate on grandstand. That's that's it. That's... Even though you told him it's been off for about 15 years. Yes, now. yes. <laughs> I think it's now just a running joke, but he does every now and then just go, and how's it going on grandstand, which is great. But you, So what you had in the old days, you had the the iconic people. I mean, Grandstand was full of your Harry Carpenters and your Barry Davises, your John Motsons, your Alan Weeks, people mm-hmm. like that. Those are the only people you ever heard. Yeah. And when you went to ITV, it was your Reg Guttridge, it was your Brian Moore, Brian people Moore, like yeah. that. Um, so there, there's really only about 15 commentators you ever heard in those days. Match of the Day now has 15 commentators doing matches. Yeah. So you have as many people on Match of the Day as you probably would have heard. On So it has been diluted, mm. which means I think... Obviously, the quality is not as good as it was because where are the iconic commentators now? Mm. Well, it's the nature of sport being you know, fragmented in the way that it is across various rights holders. And, and it is an issue. It's, a, it's something I'll probably mention you know, during various of these conversations um, that, that, yeah, you're, there isn't one place where you're going to be watching your sport for 40 years yeah. and, and, and building up a rapport with that Barry Davis, with that John Motson voice. And, mm. and, and therefore, I think the days of actually, you know, there was a lovely tribute to Barry that the BBC did, but I, I don't know that there will be these iconic names that people will remember um, so fondly that, that they used to. Well, if you think about the last 10 years, they've done one for David Coleman, they've done one for John Motson, they've done one for Barry Davis. That's probably it now. Mm. I don't think there is anybody else of that ilk who's going to warrant that kind of um, affection mm. and that kind of tribute. Because all right, Martin Tyler's been around for a long time and there's yeah. been a few others like that. But, but they, they are few and far between now. And I find that there's a bit of sameness about a lot of commentary. Uh, as I say, I'll hear voices and I, I, I like to identify that is so-and-so. Yeah. And often I can't because there's two or three or four or five who all sound fairly similar mm. and nothing particularly distinctive about what they do mm. um there's, there's a bit it's a bit of a blandness it, it kind of almost goes in tune with how radio is a bit for me these days everything's a bit bland mm. there's no kenny everett's there's no people like that who stand out on the radio for yeah. you they're all, they're all quite competent in doing what they do yeah and there's nothing wrong with what they do yeah but it doesn't grab me in the same way and i, I have a little fear that we're going that way in commentary yeah that's interesting um you're approaching your, your last weekend of sports commentary in our fantasy world. Mm. Um, the voice is in fine fettle, so you can work from, from Friday through Saturday and Sunday. Um, what would be the dream gigs? I'd love to do an Olympics. Uh, Olympics for me is the be-all and end-all for right. a commentator. Uh, the best sporting event I've ever attended uh, and will never be beaten was London 2012. Mm. Um, both Olympics and actually Paralympics, funny enough, uh, both Rio and London, for me the Paralympics was better from a commentary point of view, than was the Olympics. So I think it would always be, right, if you could parachute me into three days of an Olympics mm. or a Paralympics, that would be ideal. And the events? I think, well, it's interesting now because I was doing swimming for so long for Channel 4 and for the beat before that, but I've become a, a very late um, converter or convertee uh, to wheelchair tennis, which, which I, I'm now totally smitten on. Great. And I love it. And uh, Channel 4 gave me the chance to do that in 2016. And I thought, oh, okay, give it a go. Absolutely love it. 
Great. Absolutely loved it. So I think, you know, if you gave me a chance to do three days of wheelchair tennis mm. at the Paralympics, that would be ideal. I would never have picked that as your answer, and that is fascinating. Um, Bob, thank you very much for, uh, for spending some time. Pleasure, Nick. Um, and, uh, and, and telling us, you know, your thoughts and your experiences, and, uh, and I wish you a fulsome career until you decide to hang up the mic. Thank you, sir. It's never too late to try something new. Wheelchair tennis, Bob's new love. Uh, well, such a lovely bloke and super fun as well. My thanks to Bob Ballard for his time. Uh, you can follow Bob on Twitter if you wish to, on at Bob Ballard Sport. And while I hope these conversations can achieve an element of timelessness, his recent work on Tom Daly's latest synchro medals demonstrates he's still at the top of his game. Uh, so more power to Bob. I hope the gigs keep rolling in. Um, also look forward to us being back on the grassy knoll outside the Royal Vauxhall Tavern uh, on Bank Holiday Monday in August once again so ratings would be terrific reviews on iTunes even better thank you all for your kind words about this series Uh, one more to come for this first batch but don't worry recordings are already scheduled in uh, for series two which is coming together so uh, on that note if you do have any questions about commentating or commentators uh, more generally fire them over qcommentator at rugbymedia.co.uk on email or at Nick Heath Sport on Twitter you know where to find me um, thank you for listening this has been a Rugby Media production and bye for now Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.